as the choir's leaving, um, they just sang half my sermon, so I will preach on the other half of the passage today. The Gospel of St. John, the 20th chapter, please rise. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive sins, anyone, forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which have not, are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I guess this is a familiar uh, passage for most of us. I think many of us, if not all of us, are familiar with Thomas, doubting Thomas. The friend of Jesus who would just not believe in the risen Lord after his friends, the other apostles, told him about it. I can't put my hands, fingers in where the nails were and the hand in the side. I just can't believe. Lots of sermons written about doubting Thomas. I read one that was written in 500 AD here recently. And Pastor Russ has a very wonderful message that he preaches from this, this story. Well, the Doubting Thomas part, like I said, I'm not going to say much about. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the beginning of this passage, but this I do want to say. Doubts. Do you think that St. Thomas was the only person ever to have any doubts about his faith? Is there times when I think others, including have doubts? 
I know pastors have doubts. I believe the Pope probably has doubts. Uh, we know from her diaries, Mother Teresa had plenty of doubts. And for heaven's sake, we read here about a very apostle of Christ has doubts as well. But I wonder, I don't think they're doubts leading to unbelief. I think they're doubts leading to uncertainty. And I think that that's just normal in our Christian walk. No matter how hard we try, we can't shake Jesus. We know he's there, but we do have uncertainty at different times. And I think that's perfectly normal. We learn a little bit more and our, our doubts get eased somewhat. But when it gets right down to it, um, it's not about our level of uncertainty, our level of faith, our level of doubts. One per, what's enough faith? What's not enough faith? What's too much? It's not about what our condition of our level of uncertainty or assuredness. It's about the cross. It's about Jesus and what he did. It's not about us being on an ebb or flow or how, where we are in our Christian walk. It's about the empty tomb and Christ's work. But we still, in this world, are confronted with fears and doubts. I was just had one not too long ago. Um, in this in-between time before I was called to this, this position here at this church, uh, I was on leave from call considering a bunch of different offers that were coming in. And I was afraid we might have to move, relocate. It's not a big deal except for me. I'm a local-born Southern California boy. I have never lived in a city that did not end in the word beach. <laughs> I've always been able to see Palos Verdes from wherever I am. I have never lived east of the 405. <laughs> so you're going to move me back to where? Where they have, have you ever seen the back east? They've got this weird houses where there's little windows right along the very bottom. And you look in there and there's people looking back at you. And they say, oh, your house must be built on a slab out there in California. And I said, well, what's that? That's a basement? Oh, okay. Then there was the chance that I would have a call coming. They said, don't worry, Marv. You won't have to go east of the 405. Great, where is it? Well, it's a little bit farther to the west. How far? Well, our Senate includes the entire state of Hawaii. And my wife and I had to struggle with that. Would we be willing to sacrifice to go and suffer for the Lord on Waikiki Beach? <laughs> well, obviously, we're still here. You know, Hawaii, it's a funny place. Some people really like it and some don't. Do you ever find that? We, we went over uh, as a family and our two boys, one son looked around, took up a beach chair, put it in the sand and said, don't bother me until it's time to fly back home. The other one, the go-getter, okay, let's have a look, let's go, let's go, let's go. So we jumped in the rental car, we drove around and two and a half hours we're back where we started. He said, that's it? What am I supposed to do now for another week? Nothing, what? It's funny. 
He's had what I think they call it island fever, rock fever, don't they call it something like that? Yeah, where you just can't get away. It's almost claustrophobic. I knew a, I knew a pastor. She uh, did her internship, her one-year internship in Wailea, uh, the, other, the windward side of, of Oahu. Beautiful setting. It's close enough to Honolulu that you can still be connected to the bigger world, but far enough away that you're kind of off in this little enclave on the, nor on the uh, windward side, and you're young, and you're single, and you're living for free in Hawaii. She found out she hated sand. She thought you could just go to the beach and come home and leave the sand behind. She said, no. After four months, sand everywhere, in my car, in my closet, in my bed, under my fingernails, in my hair, sand always. And she said, my clothes, every time I opened up my, my, to get my clothes out, they're wet, so humid. When my books are mildewing. So living in Hawaii, I don't know how many of us would be willing to give it a try. You realize you'd always be a visitor. Even living there years, you're still a visitor only. The locals call us haoles. It's the Hawaiian word for people of the Western culture, and it's not really a very kind description. Uh, it, the nice word for visitors, I think, is malahinis or something like that, but most of us would be called haoles. Now, what's that have to do with today's passage? Well, let's look at the passage and see what's happening. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, where were they? They're locked up in a little room. It's Easter evening. This is the evening of the resurrection day. And the Jews are scared, or the, the disciples are scared to death. The Jews have crucified Jesus, and now they think they're ready to wipe them out as well. Death. Death is what's on the disciples' minds. Doubts flood their thinking. I thought we were supposed to have eternal life, but the Jews are hunting us down. I thought Jesus was the Messiah, but He's just been executed as a criminal. Talk about doubts. The only thing that they can see now before them is their death. But the risen Lord Jesus enters and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then this curious thing happens. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on the disciples, and they were given the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what's called John's Pentecost. Uh, we're familiar with the Pentecost that happens maybe 50 days later, you know, in the upper room, and, and the tongues of fire come down, and the disciples go out and speak in foreign languages that they don't know. But what's going on here? I mean, are there two Pentecosts? Did, did Luke and, and John get mixed up? You see how doubts can creep in? So let's have a look. Where do we first hear of the Holy Spirit? Creation, right? 
The very first book, verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Dark, darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was, began creating from the very first words breathed out of the mouth of God. The heavens, the earth, the trees, the animals, all that, was, that is began by the command of God's holy breath. And the Spirit kept up his work, guiding the Old Testament prophets, giving them the words of promise of a Savior to come, and then creating the very seed of our salvation in the womb of that young virgin named Mary. The Spirit of God came to the apostles on that first Easter evening to give a group of frightened friends of Jesus the promise of eternal life. Fifty days later, the Holy Spirit came again with tongues of fire and the power to go out and spread the message. But here in our, back in our passage, he first comes to bring the disciples comfort. They feared death from the Jews, but now receive the Spirit that creates life. Friends, the Holy Spirit continues to come and create today. That is the good news that we preach. You too were touched by the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that separated dry land from the water at creation came to you. He is the Spirit that brings life. Death no longer has a grip on you. Think of your baptism. Feel that water as it comes down your forehead at the baptismal font. You stand there and you hear the pastor speaking those words of Christ and you hear the promise in the prayer, pour out your Holy Spirit so that you who are baptized here may be given new life. This world of sins kills. The Spirit creates life and continues to create. Not just here and there, not just once in a while. The Spirit comes now for you. Remember Peter's sermon opening at that Pentecost with the, the tongues of, of fire and flames? He begins quoting Joel saying, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. That is, not just the Jews, not just the disciples, but as Peter ends his sermon, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls Jesus my Lord. The Holy Spirit came in the beginning of creation and he came to Mary and he came to the disciples in our passage and he came 50 year, days later in the Pentecost and dearly beloved, he comes to you today. Jesus sent him to you. The Spirit is here and now for you. Death has been defeated and has no power over you. Though sin and doubts try to tear you away, life with Christ is your everlasting destiny. You have the spirit of creation as your promise. As we read in Job, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. So what's this breathing on people about? Well, now we get to go back to Hawaii for the Hawaiians, outsiders from the West, I said, are called haoles. 
And it's a pejorative, it's, it's a put down. The word haole in the Hawaiian literally means no breath. The foreigners who first came to the islands did not use what they called honey. Honey is this Polynesian practice of greeting someone by coming cheek to cheek so that you could breathe on each other's skin. You could smell their breath and feel them next to you. You can feel the breath of life on your cheek. You shared in the experience of living through this greeting. And for these stiff uh, European missionaries who came to, to Hawaii, touching was inappropriate. And today, most Americans will still stand back and shake hands at best, you know, wave, knuckles, weird guy hug that they do, you know, kind of thing. Talk about personal space, don't invade my space. The Hawaiians couldn't feel any life in those Halle visitors. They were breathless, lifeless. They couldn't get personal. God willed that the entire universe come into being. Then all creation happened. The Spirit of God brought life. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God breathed the breath of life into Adam. It is the same breath of life that you and I have in our lungs. God got personal. In our passage today, what does the Lord Jesus do? He invades the apostles' space. He bestows the power of the Holy Spirit by breathing his breath on them. He got personal. Sisters and brothers, Christ gets personal with you. He invades your space. He touches you with his breath and gives you the Holy Spirit. Fears and doubts may grip you at times like they did those early apostles. But the spirit of life guarantees that you have been created anew. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We see in Genesis that from God's breath, the spirit made creation come alive. From the end of scripture, from the end of the book of Revelation, we hear Christ say these words, Behold, I am making all things new. We just have to look at the beginning of our gospel today. The gospel of John begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The creation story again. And then our passage today found almost at the end of the gospel of John with Christ here too. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Front to back, from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to the maps in the back, God is creating the Spirit bringing life. Come into this world sinful and destined for death. The Creator has now formed you into the type of creature fit to spend eternity with God. You have God's promise. You have the Holy Spirit. The breath that brought Adam to life is in you too. The Spirit of everlasting life. God, God got personal with Adam. Jesus got personal with his disciples. Christ invades your space and breathes new life into you, giving you the promised Holy Spirit. Christ gets personal with you.
close enough for you to feel his breath. You are free from death and brought into everlasting life. You have the ever-forgiving gift of the Holy Spirit. You are a new creation in Christ. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.